Hey, let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for those words. We, uh, we thank you for uh, those uh, pictures, uh, Father, that uh, so many of us here have contributed over these last couple of months uh, as we uh, just uh, continue to witness your presence, your beauty, your creation uh, all around us each day, Father. Uh, it reminds us of how good you are and uh, your love for us. And uh, most importantly, Father, um, the relationship that we have that we can have with you, how you are constantly and continuously inviting us in to trust you uh, even more with our lives. And uh, Lord, as we come to a close uh, in this beautiful series today, uh, we pray that uh, maybe there is uh, maybe there's some... Um, Finality. Maybe there's a, a last word that you have for us uh, here this morning, uh, something to uh, push us forward, uh, to keep us trusting you, to uh, cause us to take a, a, an even greater step uh, in our commitment and our love uh, to you, Father. We, uh, we invite you. Uh, we ask you, Lord, to come. We invite you into our hearts. We set our eyes and our ears and our minds uh, on you today, Lord. We give you this time and pray that you would guide and direct us. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, hey, it is so good to be with you today. Uh, my name is Paul Muma. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, if you've got a Bible with you, I want to invite you to take it and turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you use something like the Version app on your phone, uh, feel free to go there with us. Uh, there's also some Bibles around the room uh, on the floor uh, if you want to grab one of those so that you can follow along too. Uh, go to page 677 in there. Again, uh, Matthew chapter 5 as we close out this eight-week series that we started back at the beginning of June, uh, a series that we've called uh, Beautiful. And uh, as, as you're going there, I want to ask you, I wonder how many of you remember uh, some of the commercials from this Super Bowl uh, this past year. We know that the uh, Super Bowl commercials are sometimes uh, better than the game itself, uh, and some commercials better than others, but I want to know if you remember this uh, particular McDonald's commercial that was shown this past year. Check this out. That is how much it is. Boom! Your payment today will be tell them what you love about yourself. I love this compassion for other people. Nicole says that she has to dance right now. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's Strawberry Sunday's waiting on you. Strawberry Sunday. He paid with love, and that's all we need. Their total is for one big family total. I don't know if you remember that or not. I know we had a couple audio tracks going on there, but if you forget that commercial or maybe didn't see it, it was this challenge from McDonald's that over the course of the next couple of weeks, when you went to place your order at McDonald's, there was a really good chance that you wouldn't have to pay in cash, but instead they would ask you to do something instead. Like maybe you'd be asked to dance right there in the middle of their store or maybe pick up the phone and call your mom or something. I mean, the hope was, the idea was from McDonald's that they would be perceived as this loving, 
loving, family-friendly place to eat, that you would somehow forget that you were ordering a 900-calorie cholesterol bomb uh, and start thinking about your mom instead or your family and, uh, uh, or those intimate uh, uh, interactions with, with strangers in line at McDonald's. Well, I remember seeing that commercial during the Super Bowl, and I'll be honest, I think it brought a tear to my eye. Like, as I saw that, I thought, you know, that's really cool, and uh, what a really neat opportunity. I thought it was clever, but I don't know if you realize this or not, but in most cases, the promotion backfired. Uh, completely. I mean, what they found is that people were asked to dance that really didn't know how to dance or probably shouldn't be dancing uh, in a McDonald's. Uh, People were making phone calls uh, to their mom in line at McDonald's, but then having trouble hanging up on her so that they could get their food. I mean, can you, can you imagine the conversation? You know, mom, I just called to get a free, you know, sausage biscuit. All right. Yes, I will call you. I promise, but I got to go right now because the people in line are are, are pushing me there. I got to get off the phone. Well, several journalists, Uh, had awkward interactions at McDonald's and wrote about them for their media outlets. Then the YouTube videos began. Uh, Evidently, there's a whole uh, section uh, of videos on YouTube where you could see that people uh, were actually trying to pay this way. And what McDonald's ultimately found is that the sad truth is that most people would rather go ahead and pay money uh, at McDonald's than actually get their food uh, for free as a way of avoiding uh, this horrible uh, or awkward social interaction. Uh, Some went so far as to say that this promotion uh, was the worst marketing campaign uh, of the year. Now, I wonder when you think about uh, some of the worst marketing campaigns ever, what comes to mind uh, for you. Uh, For some of you, you might remember when you think of one of the worst uh, marketing campaigns, you might think of New Coke. Uh, Remember uh, New Coke? I mean, this is a classic marketing blunder. Uh, Sorry for the pun there. But uh, uh, there's also some more obscure ones, like the time uh, that a San Francisco-based eatery called Casa San Sanchez announced that it would give anyone who was willing to tattoo their logo onto their body that they would give them free food for life. Well, what this particular restaurant underestimated was the number of wackos in San Francisco that would actually do it. And so they quickly had to limit their campaign to the first 50 people and to only one meal uh, per day. Uh, But one of my favorites uh, uh, of this bad marketing campaign comes from much earlier, and it's an ad uh, written by the famous explorer, Ernest Shackleton, who was recruiting crew members uh, for what would be the first attempt uh, to cross Antarctica via the South Pole. And the ad, which was said to have run in a London newspaper back in 1913, said this, uh, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, Long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success, Sir uh, Ernest Shackleton. And uh, you think to yourself as you read like, uh, something like that, I mean, what kind of person uh, would respond to an ad like that? Well, if there's a bad marketing campaign for following Jesus, I think it has to do a little bit with the text uh, that we want to look up today. And uh, as we're finishing up this series called Beautiful, uh, and and for the last eight weeks, we've been looking at these Beatitudes, uh, these eight statements by Jesus at the beginning of his sermon uh, on the Mount. And uh, through these statements, what Jesus does is he paints a picture for us of what it means to follow him, uh, to follow him uh, fully and completely with your life. And he paints a picture of the kingdom of God by telling us uh, who is blessed and will be blessed 
in this kingdom. Now, as a reminder for us, uh, this wasn't really a planned sermon, at least in the minds of the people, although that we, got, we know that God had a very specific plan uh, for this message, but rather it came about uh, as a result of Jesus looking around and seeing a large crowd of people that had gathered, and so he saw a chance. Uh, not to tell them uh, so much what they should or shouldn't do, uh, not to scold them or guilt them uh, in how they were living their lives, but to encourage them. I mean, all around him were these common, ordinary people, uh, people like you and me, uh, people with struggles uh, and problems and doubts, and Jesus decides to encourage them. And, uh, and so he tells him as he opens this message in Matthew 5, starting in verse 3, he begins into these beatitudes by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, so far, so good, right? I mean, those are good words. Those are encouraging words for us. They remind us that as long as I am desperately dependent uh, on God and humble, uh, as long as I orient all of my life around God and, am I, and I am merciful and I'm, a, and I'm a peacemaker, I mean, this rabbi says that I'm blessed. Again, with the Beatitudes, Jesus, what he does is he lays a foundation for us of what it means to follow him. I mean, this is good stuff, right? But then, in the scripture that we want to examine today, uh, Jesus rolls out, as I said, probably, possibly, the worst marketing campaign I can think of and what it means to follow him. And it's our final Beatitude in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, where Jesus concludes this particular portion of his sermon by saying, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on to say, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Here's what Jesus is saying. He says, hey, if you do all of this, if you commit your life to follow me completely and wholeheartedly, if you decide to follow me, please know that your life is gonna change and it's gonna change for the good. Man, you're gonna see change in you. You're gonna, you're gonna become a different person. As you, as you depend on me, you're gonna start bearing fruit in your life as I work uh, through you. You'll become more humble. You'll, you'll mourn not only your sin, but the sin of the world. You'll leave behind self-righteousness and take on my righteousness instead and you're gonna become more merciful and compassionate and become a peacemaker. It's the beautiful life that we've been talking about for these last couple of months. It's the life that Jesus lived and it's the life that he desires for you and the life he desires for me. But Jesus says, but also you need to know this, that as your life changes, people around you are going to be threatened. And they'll laugh at first, but then they'll be threatened. I mean, Jesus wants us to know that there is a very real possibility that you're going to be cut out of people's lives and people are going to shun you. And for some of you, maybe most of us, at at least some point in our life, we will face outright persecution. Now, I got to say, this is a little scary, uh, quite honestly. I mean, even for me as a pastor, I don't know if I really want to preach this first. Uh, because I know that right now in this room that uh, there are uh, 
Uh, everyone here is at a different point in their walk with Christ. I mean, maybe you're new to all of this, just checking this out and, uh, and what it means to follow Jesus. And now here I am standing up before you, uh, just kind of revealing to you that, hey, Jesus warns us that if you make this commitment, if you trust him, if you uh, devote your life to, to follow him, I mean, when you accept Christ's righteousness in your life, again, when you decide him to make him the Lord of your life, uh, you're going to be persecuted. Uh, there are gonna be challenges. There's gonna be suffering that comes as a result of that. He says, you'll be insulted. Uh, he says very specifically, you'll be lied about and evil things will be said about you. Now for me, um, I want this church to grow. Um, I, I, I want people to come uh, and hear about Jesus and to find their way back to God. And so if I'm honest with you, the flesh side of me says, you know, let's make this a seven-week series, all right? Let's just, let's just forget about the eighth week. Let's just make it a seven-week series and move on. And that way, maybe we're not setting the bar too high uh, for anyone, but not the case with Jesus. Uh, and Jesus just takes this opportunity here uh, to remind everyone listening. He takes this opportunity to remind you and me today, even in just a couple of sentences, into this first big sermon that the price of following him is quite high. And that was as true 2,000 years ago uh, as it is today. I mean, all around the world today, uh, we see people who are being persecuted for their faith. We see people that are being lied about and insulted uh, and much, much worse because of their faith in Jesus, because their lives look different because of their righteousness. Uh, most prominently, we see it with groups like ISIS. Uh, we see news stories all the time, uh, a group of people who make it a sport of capturing Christians, uh, killing them in brutal ways, and then releasing uh, the video on the internet uh, as a way of striking fear uh, into each of us. Uh, we see uh, cases of persecution in cases like Pastor uh, Saeed Abedini, uh, who we've talked about uh, before here, but uh, he was in the news again this last week as the U.S. recently inked a nuclear deal with Iran. And Pastor Abedini has been held captive there for three years now because he was holding secret church services in his home uh, in Iran. And these high-profile cases, they capture our attention. All right, they leave us with questions. They strike fear into us. They draw us in. But it's easy to forget that persecution like this happens all around the world every day in ways that don't often make the headlines. Uh, take, for example, uh, a, a young woman by the name of Susan. Uh, Susan lives in Uganda. And uh, when she became a Christian in 2009, her father started beating her. And then he later locked her into her bedroom uh, so that she would starve to death. Well, fortunately, uh, her brother felt sorry for her. And so he would slide uh, food under her door each night as a way of keeping her alive. She was locked in her bedroom in Uganda for six months until her neighbors became concerned about her and called authorities. Uh, she was eventually freed and taken by a local Christian group and even today is being nursed back to health. Now, when she was freed, she was skeletal and weak and unable to walk on her own and now still in recovery. Susan can walk with the help of a walker and is enrolled uh, in a Christian school in Uganda and she dreams of the day when she can walk unassisted again and her goal in life is to one day go back to her home and minister to those, even her family, who persecuted her. Now, I don't know about you, but when we hear heart-wrenching stories like that, it's hard to compare these instances with the persecution that we face. I mean, you know, I mean, it doesn't even seem to match up to having the cashier at Walmart, you know, telling you happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas, you know? Again, we get bent out of shape about that. We call that uh, persecution, but it doesn't really compare to being beaten, imprisoned, or beheaded, does it? And it's hard to get worked up over the problems uh, that we sometimes face as American Christians uh, when the global church and Christians all around the world face so much more. 
But that doesn't make our persecution any less real. And the truth is that even in the U.S., which was formed and is an overtly Christian country, the church and followers of Jesus Christ face persecution today. And I'll add, I believe we'll face even greater persecution in the years to come. And you can see evidence of this today in a culture that is growing increasingly intolerant of Christianity. Uh, Take, for example, in 2008, a young woman by the name of Crystal Dixon uh, wrote a letter to the editor of her local newspaper. Uh, The the paper had run a a, a story uh, comparing the struggles of being born black with the struggles of those who are gay. Now, Dixon, who is an African-American woman and a Christian, wrote that in her opinion, she didn't feel that they were exactly the same, but she included in her letter the idea that human beings, regardless of their choices in life, are of ultimate value to God and should be viewed uh, viewed the same by others. Three days later, she was fired. Uh, She was fired by the administrators of the university where she worked in HR. Uh, They believed, they said, they noted that it was uh, her letter uh, that was the reason for her termination. Now, even though she wrote this letter on her own time and didn't mention the name of her university or her position or her belief system, uh, her worldview got her fired. Or take the example of tech powerhouse Google, uh, who released a suite of powerful tools called Google for Nonprofits, and uh, they made these uh, tools available to nonprofits uh, all around the world. Uh, but, but do you know the category of nonprofits that was excluded from using the tools? Churches. Uh, churches were initially uh, excluded. They were specifically excluded in the original launch of, this, of the suite. Now, uh, Google has since changed it po- its policy, but uh, the intent was clear. We live in a culture that is becoming increasingly hostile towards Christians and to the church, especially what we would call evangelical Christians. That is those who believe that the Bible is God's word and that Jesus Christ is the the only way to salvation. Um, The late pastor and theologian Francis Schaeffer uh, predicted this trend as early as 1984 when he wrote, uh, 60 years ago, Could we have imagined that unborn children would be killed by the millions here in our own country or that we would have no freedom of speech when it comes to speaking of God and biblical truth in our public schools or that every form of sexual perversion would be promoted by our entertainment media or that marriage, raising children, and family life would be objects of attack? See, persecution against Christians and the life and the way that Jesus is called to, it is real. And it's only going to get even more real. But you don't need me to tell you that because some of you have experienced that. Uh, You've run up against that in your own own home, Uh, maybe in your own marriage or uh, amongst your own friends or your school or the people that you work with. Um, The truth is that if you've been following Jesus for any time in your life, uh, if you've truly been living out these beatitudes presented by Jesus, you've probably experienced some persecution for your beliefs. Now, it may not be in the form of the government or an employer or a company that you're dealing with, but again, it could be uh, through family and from your friends. I mean, maybe you've been chastised as uh, the one person in your circle of friends that you just refuse to drink to excess anymore. Uh, You know, God's doing something new in your life. Uh, You wanna live for for so much more. Maybe the persecution for you comes within your own family. Uh, You found your way back to God, but but your, your dad hasn't. And so he wants nothing to do with what's happening in your life. He doesn't want to hear anything of it. 
Uh, maybe it's not your father. Maybe it's from a husband or uh, from, from your wife, if you're the only one in your family. Maybe your sister or brother uh, doesn't want anything to do with you anymore because in your mind, your belief system is all mass messed up. Uh, you're way behind. And so for them, their opinion is how can you be so intolerant, again, so behind in the times? Uh, maybe you're a student right now and you're the only one that, that has kind of made it a goal and a priority uh, to make it to your wedding day as a virgin. And as a result of that commitment, you know, your friends laugh, they, they push, they make fun, but you hold on. Uh, because you know that, hey, that, this is what God has for me. Uh, this is the will that I believe he has for my life. You know, that, that kind of persecution uh, is so much less severe than what we see overseas, but it's real. Uh, and it's painful, and it's a challenge if you endure or struggle with it. And so the question we want to ask today is, how are we to respond to persecution? If Jesus says we will be persecuted, then how will we respond to it? Well, Jesus gives us a hint when he proclaims, when he says, blessed are you who are persecuted because of righteousness. Now, by the way, that's the kind of persecution that we're going to deal with that Jesus is talking about here. And I want to make it clear that, you know, people will make fun of us and they will call us names and they will discriminate uh, against us for all kinds of reasons. And some of it's deserved at times. I mean, we haven't always done our best as Christians and as a church, but some of it isn't. But Jesus is specifically talking here about the persecution we will face because of his sake. And because of him and the persecution we face because we belong to him and we are living, we are trying to live for him. And so how are we to respond to that? Well, he goes on in Matthew 5, verse 11, when he says, blessed are you. Now, I don't know if you caught this or not, but all along Jesus has been speaking in the third person and now he gets very direct as he switches over to the second person. He says to those that are listening, he looks to his disciples and maybe he looks to each of us today and he says, blessed are you when people insult you. Blessed are you when people persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of what? Because of me because of who I am, and then he tells us how to respond. And if you're taking notes, uh, follow along with us today, uh, you can write this down. But Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus says, rejoice. And, and be glad. Now, I usually think of Jesus as a pretty good teacher, but I just wonder here if he's on something, all right? I mean, how on, the, or on earth... Uh, can you rejoice and be glad when you face persecution, when you face trials, when others insult you because of him? I mean, does he, does he expect us just to ignore it, to pretend like it's not happening? Here's what Jesus wants us to remember. Here's what he wants you to remember today as we live for him, as we live out our days here on earth. And I say this today to encourage you that if you're in Christ, if you are following Jesus, remember this. It's in your notes. First of all, that our home is in heaven that as a follower of Jesus Christ, our home is in heaven. The Apostle Paul says it like this in Philippians 3, verse 20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And he says, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul was writing to the Christians, to the church that were living in this colony uh, of Philippi, a colony of Rome. And, and the citizens of Rome, the people of Philippi, were expected to promote the interests of Rome, absolute and complete, uh, entire loyalty uh, to Rome in everything that they did. And Jesus is countering that as he looks at them, as he speaks through Paul, and he says, our loyalty is to Jesus. As followers of Christ, our loyalty is Jesus and to heaven. And until Jesus returns, Christians, you and me, we are expected to promote the interests of our Lord, to promote the interests of heaven, the kingdom of God, 
as we live out our lives here on earth. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's important. Uh, it's an important perspective to remember that this isn't your home. Like This isn't our final stop. You are here for now, but eventually you'll go to heaven, and that's where your home is. It's kind of like this. You know, when we go on vacation as a family, uh, it's usually fun, uh, but it's different, you know, because, uh, you know, we, we you get away and uh, you, you get some time in a hotel and you know the challenges that you don't get to sleep in your own bed, but you're in the hotel room with your family. And in our case, we're a family of five and we pack in uh, to this motel room and uh, you keep perspective because you know, okay, we don't live here. We're not going to stay here uh, forever, but because of the experience and what we're doing together, uh, you look forward to it, you get excited about it, but you know that when the last day of vacation rolls around. And when you're tired of restaurant food and you're just tired of the lack of routine, and, and again, you've been sleeping in the motel bed for so long that you get excited. You anticipate returning home, walking into your own house, slipping into your own bed in those familiar sheets. It's always good uh, to get home. And I just uh, kind of wonder if we get a glimpse of heaven even, even with that today. And, uh, and my encouragement to you is that if you're in a difficult place uh, in your life right now, if you're facing challenges, uh, if you're facing trials or suffering uh, or persecution, just remember that you're here for now, but, but your final stopping place, your ultimate destination is heaven. Um, our home as followers of Jesus Christ uh, is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. God has an intentional plan for your life and my life and this church here on the earth. But again, our ultimate destination is heaven and we will spend eternity with Jesus uh, in heaven. And the second thing is this, that our reward is in heaven. And that's what Jesus wants his followers to see here, those that are listening and considering and praying that our reward is in heaven. He reminds us this uh, in verse 12, in Matthew 5, 12, he says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Now, I wanna say this, I, I know that it's hard to keep an eternal perspective. Uh, it's very hard uh, to face all kinds of persecution and hatred and hostilities uh, here with the anticipation that the reward is to come for most of us by God's grace, uh, maybe not for years still. I mean, it's in frightening for some uh, to keep up the faith as we anticipate and as we grow concerned about those things that we see happening all around us. And, and if you have a hard time keeping perspective, if you have a hard time keeping up faith today, just know that you're not alone. I mean, even the disciples who walked daily with Jesus uh, in human form had a hard time remember the, remembering this. They got caught up into the things of this world. In one instance, uh, Jesus had a disturbing encounter with a wealthy young man who wasn't willing uh, to comply with what Jesus asked of him. And so he walked away with all he had, and he walked away sad. And then Jesus started teaching in that moment and talking about how money and possessions can often distract us from our eternal perspective. See, it's not just the bad things of the world. It's not just bad things like persecution that distract us, but good things can distract us from God too. Well, then the disciples chimed in, and because they've been persecuted and will face even greater persecution in the years to come, uh, they've given up things. They know that they've left their families uh, to travel with Jesus. They've been chased out of places. Uh, they've been ridiculed, and so they ask, what about us, Jesus? Uh, what is there for us to keep on living? What are the rewards for us? And here's what Jesus tells them in Matthew 19, 29. And he says, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. And 
So while Jesus isn't specifically talking about persecution here, he is talking about people who give things up or lose things for his sake. And really, that's what persecution is. You willingly give up your rights for the sake of Jesus Christ. You give up your will in exchange for his will. You surrender your life to him and for him because he gave up his life for you. Now, Jesus wants us to see that it will be tough and living for him will be challenging and it will be hard work and we will likely face persecution, but he wants us to know and realize. He wants you to know and to realize today that it's worth it, that it's worth it, that there's nothing more satisfying, that there is nothing more rewarding than giving all of your life and all of your heart to live for Jesus in this world. My family, we, uh, we took a trip uh, to Yosemite this past spring, and it was a great trip for us. And uh, if you've ever been to Yosemite uh, before, uh, you know that it's a spectacular place. And uh, we went uh, towards the end of the winter season for Yosemite, and so parts of the park were still closed, but we had two priorities uh, in our two days at Yosemite. One was to see the valley, and that's kind of the most common, most well-known place, the most well-known sites uh, at Yosemite. Uh, but to also get to this place at the south entrance of the park, a place called the Mariposa Grove. Uh, now, the Mariposa Grove is where all of the uh, sequoias uh, in Yosemite are located, at least those sequoias that uh, you can access. And so we made about a 20, 25-mile drive up and down uh, the mountains to get to this Mariposa Grove before we uh, left the park. Well, when we got there, uh, there were no parking places. And uh, there was a ranger that stopped us and just said, hey, we've, we've got more cars than we can take for today. I'm sorry, we're not letting any more people into this place. Now, my wife panicked a little bit. And uh, if I'm honest, she just panicked. Of, hey, we came all this way, all right? We, you know, we, we're going to see those trees. She was saying this to me. Now, I, I, I'm not a confrontational sort of a person, but I, I really saw that she began questioning my manhood in this moment and my <laughs> willingness to stand up to this particular ranger. Well, uh, we drove out of the park and we kind of made a U-turn and came back in from another direction and pulled off to the side and I got out of the car and I walked over to where the parking lot actually was and I saw that there were a few spaces and so I went over to the ranger and just very kindly started to reason with him to point out that there were a couple of places and so he gave. He told us, okay, yeah, just go on over there, find a spot. Well, when we got over there, what we didn't realize was that the access road to the Sequoias was actually still closed because of the winter they hadn't yet opened it to the public. And so you could get to the grove, but you had to walk three miles to get there. And no one had told us this. Well, again, we were committed. We had set our sights on seeing these sequoia trees. And so we started the walk. And uh, this picture doesn't do much justice, uh, but it was a strenuous walk uphill all the way, about three miles to actually get to uh, this grove of the sequoia trees. This next picture will tell you what my daughter, Kate, uh, thought of it and uh, what she thought of the journey and how long it took and the effort uh, to get there. But I got to tell you, once we got there, and I know these pictures won't do it any justice, but if you've seen the sequoias before, uh, it's absolutely breathtaking uh, to just see how uh, massive and beautiful these trees uh, really are. Uh, estimated to be 2,000 uh, years old. This next picture here is uh, the most uh, famous tree in this particular grove, the grizzly giant. It's 26 feet in diameter. 
Uh, if you can imagine, uh, at the very base of this tree, there's Joel trying to get a hold uh, of one of those trees there. I think this next one uh, will kind of show you. You'd only imagine what it's like if one of these fall over, uh, but the underside of one of these sequoia trees. Uh, again, it, it was a spectacular sight. It was a grueling journey. And not only did we have to make that three-mile walk up there, but we had to turn around and walk three miles back to the car. But it was worth it. It was so worth it. And I just want to tell you today and encourage you today that if you commit your life to Christ and really make following Jesus your priority, it'll be challenging. I can't promise you that it won't be without pain, that it won't be without some suffering, but it's worth it. It will be worth it. And Jesus says that you will be blessed on the earth, that you will enjoy the God's favor as you live your life for him on this earth, even as you're persecuted. But there's an even greater reward awaiting us uh, in heaven, that if you're in Christ, heaven is your home, and one day you will spend eternity in heaven with Jesus, and there will be no more pain. There will be no more tears. There will be no more death or suffering. Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before Second, Jesus really didn't have, or didn't really have to explain to the crowd what that meant for the prophets who were persecuted. They knew that story, but I feel for us it warrants an explanation. Uh, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 uh, goes through a long list of, of people who accomplished great things for the kingdom of God. And many of those who were persecuted, uh, they were persecuted for their righteousness. And, and so he talks about Joseph who was sold by his brothers and in prison. And he talks about Moses who was held as a slave and Gideon and David, and all of these great heroes of the Bible who even in the face of persecution became famous for their faith. And then he says something interesting here. He writes in Hebrews 11, verse 35, he says, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. He says, they were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goats uh, skins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. And then verse 39, notice what it says. These were all commended for their success. That's not what it says. Um, we, we often think that we will be commended for the years we live on this earth, the amount of money we will store up, the houses we buy, the cars that we buy and purchase, the trips that we will make. But here the writer says, no, here's what gets God's attention. These men and women were all commended for their faith, for their willingness, for their passion, their desire, and their devotion. It wasn't what they accomplished. It was what they believed and they trusted and they lived their lives completely for Jesus. And the fact is that not everyone who is persecuted for their faith will make the headlines. Um, we don't all get to be public heroes like these men and women that are mentioned here. But Jesus says all of us who are persecuted for our faith and stand strong in the face of pressure and temptation from the outside of the world, all of us will receive our reward in heaven. Jesus says you will be blessed. And so I guess the question that I want to wrap up this series with today uh, for you and for me uh, is this one. Who are you going to live for in this world? 
on what foundation will you build and live your life on this earth? I mean, are you gonna make it up as you go and hope that it all works out for you in the end? Or will you live your life for the one who laid down his life for you and the promises that he has given us through his death and through his resurrection? His invitation is for each of us. His invitation is for you, Genesis, to live our lives wholeheartedly for Jesus. The uh, writer of Hebrews goes on to say in these next words, and I believe these are our words for today and what the Lord has given me to share with you from Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse one. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Will you bow your heads with me today? I wanna just pray and make this our prayer here this morning, uh, that we will put all of our focus uh, on Jesus, that we will look to him, that we will accept his invitation to live for him on this earth. Uh, Father in heaven, we pray uh, that you would speak into our hearts and lives now, that you would encourage us uh, to follow you, to live our lives completely and dependently uh, on you today. And uh, we realize that one of the things that can hold us back and hold us down is the sin that you say so easily entangles us. And I just want to ask you today, what is that for you right now in your life? Uh, What is it that's holding you down? What's the sin that so easily uh, entangles you, has you tangled up right now? Just give that to Jesus. Just give that to Jesus and confess that sin to him. Let him know that you want to live for him in this world, for nothing else. The writer here says, instead, let us run the race with perseverance, the race that's marked out for us. Are you ready? Are you willing to commit all of your life, even more of your life, to living for Jesus right now? Uh, In your neighborhood, in your school, uh, on your campus, on your team, uh, where you work, uh, in your own home, in your marriage, in your dating relationship right now, uh, in all of your fears and all your worries. Here's what we're encouraged to do to fix our eyes on Jesus. Uh, He wants to be your friend. We just reach out to Jesus today and say, Lord, I need you. Father, I need you. I need your son. We want to just look to your son to show us how to live. Here's, Here's the hope that we have as we pray. Jesus endured the cross for us. He gave his life for you. We're going to celebrate that in just a moment as we share communion together. But he gave his life for you so that you could have life, so that I could have life. We just embrace that today. Just embrace that power, the power of the gospel, the good news for your own life even today. And and for those of you that are here this morning, maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've never trusted him with your life, know the power and the truth of this news. He died for you. He died out of love for you. 
And so maybe you're at a place today where you're ready to receive that love and trust him. Just, just pray that right now. Just say, Lord Jesus, I trust you. Come into my life and forgive me. I want to live my life for you. Father, as we thank you that we have an example uh, to look to in Jesus, uh, we thank you that he understands, that uh, he endured, that uh, he lived his life as a man here on this earth without sin, but he knows many of those same challenges that we face today. I pray that as we look to him, we will not grow weary, that we will not lose heart, but that we will live our lives for you each and every day and be blessed here on this earth and hope and look forward to the blessings that we will receive as we spend eternity with you in heaven. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.